Welcome to another episode of Wampa Radio. That's right, bees. I'm back. Um, <laughs> yeah, see? Uh, <laughs> well, you you did a... First of all, I want to give massive props to Dan for stepping in and uh, giving... Uh, giving the chair some respectability, like you you definitely said, the red X is gone. I have I am the red X is gone. I have returned. Um, you also somehow I have returned. <laughs> somehow I have returned. I knew, I knew someday I'd get you to say it. I know, I know. This is a callback to episode one, actually, where we kind of talked about this, and I said I, I said I would never play the card, and they would I'd be damned if I said it, yeah. but I did say it. But this is a Star Wars Unlimited podcast. It is about the the news, the notes, the strategies, all the jam regarding Star Wars Unlimited podcast and beyond. As you've already known, we talk about all kinds of Star Wars stuff. Um, joined as always by my co-pilot, um, Charm Charm Baca. Here he is. It's, oh my god! Oh my god! I just had to had to give the face. If you're listening. Um... You're welcome because you didn't see what I just released upon poor Flake, <laughs> well, that's, but that's yes, a good I, thing. You know, I I am joining you. I'm very happy that you're back. Don't get me wrong; I love Dan, and I genuinely appreciate him filling in and putting up with all of my shenanigans about scheduling and filming so late and and everything else. And he did a fantastic job, but I did miss you, even though it's hard for me to admit it. And. Uh, yeah, we're ready to kick off episode seven, which naturally means that this uh, episode is titled The Flake Awakens, and we are going to star kill this episode. Uh, so with that in mind, we are going to talk about alternate win cons as like the meat of this episode, but we also are going to cover the news because even though the game doesn't release until 2024, there seems to be a steady stream of news for this game, which is refreshing and shocking. And... First things first, we got to cover our Wampa Cave Pole of the Week. Yeah, we're back at it. Another cave pole. This one was uh, a little more of a broader stroke. Wasn't necessarily targeted at any particular news or, or releases or spoilers or anything. We just wanted to ask you, friends, you're flying into battle, Charmer, okay? You're flying mm -hmm. into battle. The, the, the sirens are going off on Yavin yep. 4, okay? You hop into your choice of classic Star Wars Rebel Starfighter. You've got an X-Wing, an A-Wing, a Y-Wing and a B-Wing. We asked you out there, what is your preferred starfighter to jump into of those four to fly into battle? And uh, I'm going to ask you first what yours is, because I think you and I are on a very similar wavelength here. I just need to say that the people got it wrong in their poll. It is the A-Wing. The A-Wing is the choice. If I am jumping into battle, I want to showcase A-Wing supremacy. It's got speed. It's just able to swoop in unsuspecting. You're able to outrun potential opponents. If you feel like you're not in the right position in a dogfight, I want to go fast, right? I want that Top Gun experience, but in space. And so that's that's the A-Wing. Um, you basically said precisely what I was going to say, which was it, this all comes back to the tenant of it's not the ship, it's the pilot. And in which case, you want the ship that can do the most things. Uh, and 
it's not about firepower. It's about who, what the ship is capable of doing. If evasion, tactics, uh, maneuverability. The A-Wing is, of the four we've listed, I believe is the most uh, recent uh, development out of all of them in terms of technology and such. I believe it was developed to sort of combat the uh, interceptors and the more maneuverable TIE fighters, etc. It is fragile, don't get me wrong. It's not loaded with massive firepower, um, but it is the ultimate top gun experience like you said it's not the it's not the plane it's the pilot right that's what wins dogfights and that is why the a-wing is um the best that's not what everyone else said so no 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 let's let's go down the line and talk a little bit about each ship and i want to go we, we just spoke about the a-wing but what about the the winner of the poll uh, as we show you here the actual winner of the poll we'll go through each one but uh the x-wing takes the poll at 61.8 percent and i don't think that there's a surprise here what i think is more surprising is that the b-wing took second place at 17.6 the a-wing slightly behind it 13.2%. And ye old classic workhorse uh one-legged mule, the uh the Y-wing holding fast at 7.4%. So the only thing that was a surprise to me was the I guess market share of the X-wing. I expected it to win. I didn't expect it to take almost two-thirds of the vote. It is iconic, right? When you think of a rebel starfighter, you think of an X-Wing first. Like, let's be honest, we all do it. And even when you go to the newer trilogies, you know, Poe's flying an X-Wing. They went back to the well on that one. It just stands out. So, like, I get why people picked that. Even if you don't know much about Star Wars, you know what an X-Wing is. Then you go to the B-Wing. I actually did expect that one to be the second most popular because if you're, you know, somebody who played... uh various star wars games that one has a lot of firepower right it's basically a bomber it's the b-wing bomber and you feel kind of like a flying fortress when you're on that thing and i expected that one to be slightly more popular then there are the you know military experts who know a-wing supremacy so we're we're the doctorates we're the phds in right. in space combat here aka the correct answer and then as you said right there is the y-wing and the y-wing is aptly named because if you're piloting it the question i have is why <laughs> like yeah why it's slower it, i mean it, it looks cool like from a design standpoint but like why <laughs> so let's just go through it right because again if you want if we're gonna dog on the y-wing there's a lot of classic you know, uh, like I'm reading a book now, uh, a book series, a canon Star Wars called Alphabet Squadron. And there's um, there's an old school kind of spy espionage type of, uh, you know, old pirate style character named uh, uh, Naf Tencent, I believe his name is, who prefers the Y-Wing because of that's what he grew up on. And it's just reliability. It's the same thing as like, why use the R2 unit when there are better droids you know that you better astromechs it's because you trust it and i think that that's why the y-wing got some votes it's it's iconic it flew alongside the x-wing it it sort of delivered the payload and and it's got a probably has a a crap ton of imperial capital ships you know notches on its belt but in reality it's not the most fire it, it doesn't provide the most punch that would be the b-wing the b-wing is like you said it's a flying fortress it is 
it's it's not a glass cannon it is a stone cannon you know it just shows up and takes a beating it doesn't have much maneuverability it it is meant to be supported by you know it's like basically the x-wing supporting the y-wing was replaced by the a-wing supporting the b-wing you know that's kind of how that goes right and um ultimately i would never in any kind of dogfight aerial battle anything in that regard that is the last thing i would jump into i would probably take like a cloud city i was gonna say clown car cloud not a clown car (laughs) you're not wrong a cloud car but yeah yeah, to the rescue (laughs) and like 40 lobots jump out (laughs) so uh but yeah i mean the b-wing is is badass in itself but i feel like the b-wing makes up for pilot pilot skill with just pure firepower i was just gonna say the way that i am enticed to get into a b-wing is if i am the gunner like if you say to me which one do you want to have sole control over the pew pew it's the b-wing right like i want to be in that chair swelling around firing at the the other ships as they go by because then i i it's weird but i would feel more in control of the b-wing if i was in control of the firepower than the maneuverability right yeah so do you know what the you know. do you know what the b-wing squadrons were designated at the uh battle of endor oh um they they weren't blue squadron right they were blue squadron yeah they, okay. they were blue squadron do you remember what the y-wings were um they're gold right no the y-wings were gray squadron gold squadron. i remembered the the g okay uh gold squadron was only one ship do you remember which one it is 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 gold the falcon then gold is the falcon yeah gold squadron had a mix i I thought that one was the gray so that's why i was like that means that it's got to be the falcon okay yeah and i guess that makes sense because like they want to make the falcons feel like the gold standard even though it's a hunk of junk right yeah uh (laughs) just just flying through just losing its like its sensor array I love that the Millennium Falcon is like such an iconic ship in Star Wars, but like when you think about the in-universe equivalent, it's like somebody modified a Winnebago to have oh. a, a turret on the top, and yeah. then that's what you're flying around, you and, know. And instead of going through sort of the inner workings of the second Death Star and like and, and losing a sensor array, you're navigating like a Walmart parking lot and losing your side mirror. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's kind of the same thing. I think that that's kind of how it goes. And it's like the same thing because like Han is like, I'm lending you this for the weekend. Not a scratch, right? No, man, I'm just going camping. I'll just park it in the day. You know, no big deal. Meanwhile, he's in like New Orleans <laughs> just going yeah. down. Yeah. Oh, all right. That does it. I think that this was a very predictable win. But like you said, the magnitude of the win, I think, is the shocking element here. We got headlines, Charmer. We've got some news. Yeah, we do. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to uh, line up. Uh, we did a, I, I, like I, I tweeted out earlier, I got a stack. I bought a stack of sealed Star Wars old school product. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like stacks and stacks of packs here, baby. And a lot of these are going to be in my collection. But a lot of these are also going to be sent out starting with this pack of Young Jedi. So as... The animation twirls. Who wins the uh, giveaway, Mr. Charmer? 
It is none other than John Franey. Congratulations on your winning of a young Jedi pack. I hope that you pull something like a Darth Maul or, you know, again, one of those uh, tanks, the droid tanks that are so powerful if you actually play the game. But congratulations. Congratulations to you, John. Don't forget, uh, if you win, it's on you. You got to contact us either through discord or twitter just send us a message let us know that you won that way we can get in touch with you and get your information so i could pop that bad boy in the mail and send it out um the other thing is actually today there's uh in terms of news you guys covered a lot on the other episode and uh i wasn't even aware that there was a a developer stream so i was listening so i was listening to the episode on the plane on my my trek from Cincinnati back to Toronto, and I was there. I was just like, I'm just gonna tune it out and fall asleep. And I was like, no, there's some good information coming here. Yeah, no, there was a lot of information. Yeah. That was part of the reason that it was like hurting cats because I was trying to obviously make sure Dan was available, but then every time I was looking to schedule something, it was like a new piece of news popped out, and I was like, oh well, I want to talk about that. And so my notes just got longer and longer and longer. And uh, I think our our episode was almost like two hours as a result, but oh, yes. there was just so much to cover. It was two hours long uh, because I when I was downloading it, um, it took longer than I thought it would uh, off the internet at the airport. And I was looking at it as my flight was fifty five minutes, like in the air. So it's like one fifteen or one one, t- one an hour ten minutes gate to gate. So I was like, I gotta start this pre-boarding and i did and uh it it worked out well because i i became learned i also got a nice perspective of the fact that uh we have a lot of fun on this podcast and that makes me happy so but first uh order of uh, big news is the fact that uh, fantasy flight games is partnering with game g uh, game genics for tcg accessories and the important element here which i don't know if this is just a flowery way to announce something that doesn't mean anything. But they said, and I quote, for uh, mind-blowing innovations within, like, the TCG space. I don't know how you could innovate accessories, like TCG accessories. I I still feel like that they have some room. So we talked a little bit about it last week with Dan, where I was talking about things that I'd like to see with playmats where you have, like, specialized zones and, and things like that. And the more I think about it, one of the things that I think is kind of missing in the space, like you can buy your sleeves, you can buy your deck boxes, you can buy your mats, but usually if you want to get specialized tokens or things like that, you also have to go through like some sort of third party whatever. What if you buy your game genic deck box and if you've never bought one of their products, they're actually fantastic. I use them for flesh and blood and a lot of them have like the drawers where you can put all your tokens what if you buy one of those that's for star wars unlimited and it's got like luke or vader on the outside and then also it comes with specialized tokens for the game already stuff you can use for shield tokens or whatever all in one package because that's something that's never been done that would be innovative in my mind i think that's a great um a little prediction there i think when you're talking about innovation it's hard like when you talk about like oh you know a playmat with the right zones on it and everything like who cares like people make those all the time i actually put in an order ordering my own playmats for uh flesh and blood so like for for the other for instant speed podcasts like you can do those that's not necessarily innovating i think what innovating when it comes to tcg accessories can mean 
enhancing an already existing product again when when they're talking about this this partnership it, they they are designing and producing things that are are specific for Star Wars Unlimited and when you're talking about something specific for a game you have to go into the special rules the zones and whatever and the tokens that would then come with it i would love to see a bundle of a night a great box with the with the drawer that you can fit the tokens the dice the counters in and if they include the counters, please don't make them rinky-dink cardboard garbage. I want metal, you know, or or even clay style. Like, you know when you go to a, a casino and you know that those poker chips feel so much different than the ones you buy at, like, the store or the corner store you buy them? Mm-hmm. Like, because they got weight to them. There's a little bit of... A little bit of oomph to them. They got history. They got there's the the sadness of a man who lost his entire life savings at a craps table, built into that. You you hold it. You feel that despair. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, I do. Yeah. I do. You can feel the the weight comes from the money that you just lost to put into those yeah chips. And in right? the other like, hand, you've got another chip that is all the the free drinks that you're drinking to justify the amount of money you lost. So both of them just are amazing. I think that that's what it needs to do. Um, and I mean, I've got my deck box right here for flesh and blood. In that deck box, I've got my little drawer with all my stuff. And when we're talking right. about these things, we've got a resource counter, nice metallic resource counter. I've got like uh, wear tokens mm-hmm. for equipment, and you hear it? It's all metal. It's all awesome. I've got like a, you know, a spectral shield token for flesh and blood, and it's all here, and it's amazing, and it fits in there nicely. I think that that could possibly be like you're. I think you're spot on when it when you talk about it. That that's what they're looking at doing. I mean, I think I think it would be really cool. And again, also designs on the outside, right? Because we've seen. Like with Flesh and Blood, for example, we have Dragon Shield sleeves. Flesh and Blood partnered with Dragon Shield, and so you can get official sleeves with, like, the art. Well, Gamegenic doesn't do sleeves, but they do deck boxes and binders and other things, right? So what if we also get, like I said, deck boxes that have your Luke or your Vader or your Darth Maul or whatever on the outside? I think that would also be, you know, a step in the right direction as far as the IP. And, you know, again, when I think of where this game could be in the future, right? You know, we sometimes mentioned Disney Lorcana here. One of the things that was said early on about Lorcana was that they had also planned on selling like packs and starter decks for that game in the parks. And I could totally see some cool game genic, you know, intellectual property Star Wars products at Galaxy's Edge, for example. You know, that would also be, I think, a really big hit. Uh, new cards, my friend. We've got a brand new card that was revealed by Wreck and Rule Brian, and I really, really like this card. I don't think it's a game changer by any means, but I think that it does a lot for a little, and I think that that's great. Um, what do we got here? What have we revealed? So the card that was revealed is Rebel Pathfinder. This is a ground unit. It costs two resources. The only uh, trait that is on it is heroism. So one color, if you will. It's going to be interesting how the community kind of coalesces about whether we call these colors or, you know, factions or traits or... Officially, they're aspects, right? Yeah, officially, they're aspects, but I know that historically, the official term doesn't mean that's what everyone's going to go with. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes. But yes, uh, the aspect uh, is heroism. So mono aspect... 
Uh, has two power, has three health. It has a rebel tag and a trooper tag, and then it just has the saboteur keyword. However, I say just with a big asterisk next to it because this is an incredibly powerful keyword. I believe this is the first time that we've seen it on a card. It's been mentioned in the rules, but this is the first time we see it in action, so we can kind of get a feel for the stat line associated with it. And when I see a two-cost card, it's a 2-3. I feel like that's probably decent stats. And then also, the big thing about the Saboteur keyword, yes, you can go around units with Sentinel, but it also defeats a Defender Shield. I think that's ultimately going to be the real power behind cards with this keyword because it's going to allow you to maneuver around your opponent trying to get extra value. This is a game where attackers choose targets. That's a big deal. And then also, you and I have kind of theorized a few times on the show. At some point, I think you're going to be able to give your base shields and Saboteur, I think, will be a clutch mechanic for getting rid of those efficiently. Nobody wants to overpay to do something uh, a small and annoying. Like, for example, in Hearthstone, nobody wants to tank a big minion into a divine shield to pop it that's why things like having a like a mage ability to just two mana ping it away is so clutch to deal with those pesky little things right popping a shield etc here's why rebel pathfinder pathfinder is a good card it's a two cost uh two cost card with a two three stat line like you mentioned i think that that's basically the rate the other aspect here is and i pun non no pun intended <laughs> is that is like you said it's a so it's a mono aspect card so it'll not be difficult to fit into certain lists you're not pigeonholing yourself into saying well i have to i can't run it because it, it's garbage as a four drop because i'm not running whatever else let's say aggression or vigilance or whatever it else might have then you're putting on a tagline like saboteur and this goes back to what I'm saying, is that if there's something like a shield on a clutch unit, you don't want to waste time with bigger cards or, or you know, events out of your hand in order to deal with that kind of stuff. You want your cheap little, you know, weenies to basically either faceplant into them and, like, sack themselves into something like that to clear the shield and still do a little bit of damage. And then, right. and then follow it up with something else. Um, this is a card that I think is is going to be a it's going to be a draft card that people are going to want. It's going to be a good draft card. Uh, it's coming in as a common, so that's fine, no big deal. But the important aspect here is it's going to be a meta. Uh, it's going to be a meta call, I think. If shields are in, are played, or even if so, like mm -hmm. some decks. This is going to be the def like the de facto two drop to maybe wheel in instead of something like you know if aggro's big maybe you find a two drop sentinel. Um, this is sort of yeah. what every deck is going to have the core and then you're going to have twenty percent of the deck that can sort of morph into whatever it needs to be and this is sort of going to fit that that uh, that rule. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned aggressive decks because i can totally see this being the kind of card that you would run to be a potential response to something like again hypothetical this isn't a card that was revealed or anything but let's just say that destroyer droids right the droidicas are like a four one but then they make up for the one health because they have barrier right they've got the shield 
So this would be a great answer for something like that, where that's got a high power, it's meant to be an aggressive card, and it's protected by the shield, and then along comes the saboteur and just kind of chuckles and, and trades for value. And as you said, I think this is going to be a great draft card. It'll be great and sealed. You know, last week we talked about the fact that there's going to be pre-releases for this game, even for set one. So keep an eye out for this during your pre-release as well. But yes, this is, I just think, solid, right? Not not going to be your win con, but it answers a lot of things. Yeah, it's not going to break the mold. Uh, I like that it's a little bit thematic. You and I really like when cards play into what they're sort of meant to meant to represent. It's the Rebel Pathfinder, right? He's on Endor. He's a scout. He's out there pathfinding, right? Like he's out there surveying the land, making sure he's the sort of first contact many of the times. And that plays into what the role of this card is going to be, which is as a saboteur defeating a shield as a small unit, this might be your first point of contact against a bigger, stronger unit where you go in, you defeat the shield, you do a little damage, poor, I don't know who this is, uh, uh, Ramon, we'll call him Ramon, um, dies um heroically on endor and then I, I i hope that like as as the game releases and takes off people still just call this ramon yeah no look this is and he's got razor focus so we can call him razor ramon <laughs> i mean i'm I'm not against it that ah, thank you that's all i wanted to hear but yeah um once all the cards are out we are you and i are going to do an entire you know we're going to rate oh, the cards sure. we're going to rate all the cards you'll hear it for now uh there's um there's a friend of the show the star wars unlimited polls they're a another twitter uh twitter account that celebrates this game uh, i recommend you guys go take it out they uh, go check them out they put a lot of polls out as well they also retweet our poll which we really appreciate um they always say what is your evaluation of this card and i always say don't know yet that is my vote yeah. all the time because you do not know yet. You have no context. So I, 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 I applaud those who have an opinion on the cards so far. Um, however, you know you don't know if it's good or not because what if they come out with a, another another card that's like Super Ramon? It's a one cost, one aspect, three four with Saboteur. It's gonna make this card look like absolute dog water. Well. It, it won't be like Super Ramon. What'll happen is it'll be the unique named version. So this is just Razor Ramon, and then we'll have Scott Hall, Scott. but he'll have the, you know, <laughs> unique symbol. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he, he, he's from a rebel commando unit called the Outsiders. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So that is the, the card, and um, we did get new art, and this new art is all about me all about you charmer and all about wampa radio look at this beautitious amazing delicious art right here it is fantastic so for the folks who are just listening audio this is your atat and your uh battle on hoth right there's three atats but there's one big one and it is shooting down you know, one of those rebel uh, the ships that are... The, yeah, the, the speeders, the, the snow speeders, yeah, the baby. the snow speeders, right. Um, it, it's, it's just doing work, right? Like, it's actually kind of showcasing how terrifying these things could be. It's 
it's one of my favorites. I also really like the perspective. So one of the things that I think this card does well, because it's sometimes hard to show motion in static art, they give a little bit of blur to the speeders, but they also tilt your perspective so that instead of it being like an, an exactly horizontal horizon, it's tilted like you're somehow in the action yourself, like you're in a speeder and this is what you're seeing as you're going, right? Like it's just presented very well. It feels like Dak Routers is right behind you and saying his last words that he don't doesn't know are his last words. Um, but Hoth is my favorite Star Wars environment. It's my favorite setting. The Battle of Hoth to me was one of the most epic things I think I've ever witnessed on on TV or you know in I, I say in cinema because I never got to see it on the big screen. But just watch looking at this art just make fills me with with that kind of nostalgia. And uh, you're right. The tilt makes you feel like you're you're riding shotgun on one of these snow speeders, right? Like you're just, and your buddy just got blown out of the sky, and you got, you know, there's the the other in the far left hand side. You see another ATSD that's kind of like bearing down, looking for another target. And if you notice, Charmer, to the left of that is the orbital space, like the orbital ion cannon, the, the defense ion cannon. Can yeah, yeah. So. That is there. It's in the background. I mean, obviously, that was already at Echo Base. It's, so it's not like a big revelation or anything. But who knows? Maybe all that stuff we talked about, about fortifications to a base, might be a thing. Maybe you can put an orbital sp space cannon, you know, on a... Yeah, maybe. I, I will say this. If... As long as it's not like a super legendary or whatever, but if and when, I should say when, because we know it's coming. We get a, a Wampa card. I I want to collect them. And if there's alternate arts, like I, I need them. This is what we'll do. The, the worst thing that could happen is if it comes out and it's like a legendary or something. But we will, uh, you know me, I collect flake outs in, uh, yep. in, in um, Flesh and Blood. And whenever... I sit like I send something to somebody or if I'm at a convention and people want me to sign something, I usually have a stack of foil flake outs and I'll sign a flake out for them. I think that you and I are just going to have a stack to the moon of wampas. And that is good. That's going to be our Christmas cards, our business cards, all that yeah. stuff. Um, so friends, we're putting out the call right now. If you guys open too many wampas or find some foil wampas or whatever, Put them aside. Charmer and I will happily acquire these from you uh, for a, a high five, a hug, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, we're, we're already on the warpath collecting wampas. We haven't even seen one yet. It's coming. Gotta have them. It yeah. is coming. Uh, there is one more thing, I guess. Now, we did tease. Yeah, it's weird because we cover the news, right? But this might be the first time that we've covered breaking news. Oh, you son of, I didn't even know you had that button. <laughs> I, I was waiting for the droid voice. You were waiting for the robot voice? No, this was this is very like intense, right? This is the big moment. We have breaking news. Yes, we do have breaking news. But before the breaking news, we're gonna uh, we're gonna give you this. So enjoy it.
Welcome to Imperial Human Resources. Yeah, um, emphasis on human, eh? Um, not not many, many other races around here. We have droids. Yeah, uh, my my best friend's a droid. And anyway, anyway, uh, go go on, go on. We have a few questions about your suitability for the available position. How do you deal with authority? So when you when you what do you mean by like a like authority? Like power. Power, 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 like what what kind of power? Like what are we talking about here? The ultimate power in the universe. I, I I mean I mean sure. Yeah. It's good with me. Okay. Uh how do you feel about religion in the workplace? I mean, yeah, I, sure, I guess like a no big deal as 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 long as it's not one of those like hokey religions, you know? No, uh, but uh, actually I'd be mean, like that's fine. I'm cool with it. Whatever your sorcerer ways are, it's uh, it's all good with me. Do you have any first-hand experience with crystals? Well, uh, my wife is unemployed and from California, so I have way too much experience with crystals. This next question will be hypothetical in nature. Your boss wants you to commit an atrocity and maybe on a level that is unprecedented throughout the history of the galaxy, what would you do? You're talking about, like, socks and sandals at work kind of atrocity? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not psychotic. Just casual mass genocide on a planetary scale. That, that level of magnitude. Would you object to something like that? Well, e No, never. I would never object to that. I would, I, whatever you need, I'm here for the duty. You got it. Okay. One question about your resume. It says you're from Canada. Is, is that, is that an Outer Rim territory? Uh, it's Canada. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, uh, you could say it's Outer Rim. It's, um, let's see. It's kind of like Hoth, but less access to Disney's Lorcana. Is, isn't that the one that's above the United States? Wretched hive of... Scum and villainy. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh. oh, wow. I know, oh, right? Um, I know. Okay. Oh, oh. I thought I was the only one. Oh, okay. This is, this is going to work out. Well, on that note, you're hired. You need to report to the platform, the one that looks kind of dangerous. That... That one over there, the one with with no railing. Yes, yes, that's the one here. We'll uh, give you a dossier that explains everything about the job. So to cover our breaking news, we now know that the card we are revealing is Super Laser Technician. This is a three-cost ground unit. The aspects are 
villainy because it's a super laser technician and command now it is only a two ones this costs three and it's only got two attack and one health so naturally it's gonna have a pretty powerful effect as far as like the tags on this unit it's an imperial and it says when defeated you may put this unit into play as a resource and ready it so essentially when this dies it then becomes ramp for you your ability to play things speeds up if you've ever played any card games you know that's an incredibly powerful effect but the thing that really stands out to me is that you ready it so this has the ability with the back and forth nature of the way this game plays out you can use this to attack an opposing unit like as removal and then turn around and use that new resource to play more cards so man i'm excited for this i love this already um it looks to me like what I love about this card is the art makes it look like he's at a beach party, like at the DJ booth, <laughs> you know, like um, who are those two, sh those two dudes who like wear the helmets and whatever. Yeah. He's uh he's the daft punk daft punk. Uh, yeah. Super laser technician. I, I was going to think uh, he could also be like dead mouse or something. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> he's just it'd there. Be he's really like cool. If you know what we should have? We should have uh, we should have our good friend Mara Ferris do an altar for us that makes uh, like a dead mouse droid. Like you put a mouse droid on his helmet, right? Yeah. So it's like dead mouse, but it's dead mouse droid. Oh, but look at him. It lo literally, it looks like he's just about to ready to drop the beat. But instead of the beat, it's the, all the entire planet of Alderaan. <laughs> yeah, when the base drops, it drops. I mean, it booms as in... It an entire the planet. entire rebel base when the rebel base drops. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the beauty of this card, which actually ties into what our uh, episode's going to be about, we can speculate. But this is a ramp card. This is a card that is not long for this world. You might look like two aspect, three cost, garbage stat line. Who cares? Well, who cares are the fact that you're going to be ramping ahead of your opponent in terms of resource generation. If you are not familiar with card game archetypes and such, you have your aggro, you have your control, your combo. Ramp is another archetype that uh, is prevalent in Magic, it's prevalent in Hearthstone, it's prevalent in a lot of different um, a lot of different card games. Basically, these are cards that are investments for future plays you're playing this not for tempo not as a threat you're playing this because what it does is it will upon death put you ahead of your opponent so that when they're putting their fifth land down you're putting your you know your resource down you're putting your sixth or seventh down and right. suddenly they cannot keep up with what you're trying to output you're going to take it on the chin early but once the big boys come to play, it's a whole different story. And I think that there's no better card than and like or no better thing than Imperials who are just, you know, resource whores, as it were. Get ahead of your opponent. Show flex that wealth and that might. Yeah, it's that. And also from a flavor standpoint, I love the idea of throwing lowly Imperials at somebody in order to speed up the arrival of a vader right if your deck is centered around you're trying to play vader as fast as possible so when he hits the table he can start cleaning up your your enemy units right you're a control centric imperial deck let's say this is a great card for that 
again, as you said before, it's very hard to rate cards until you have the context of an entire set, right? Because you don't know what's out there. However, I'm going to go on record right now. This card is good. Three reasons. One, we revealed it. So it's got to be oh, the best in the game. Easily. Just are none. Two, one of the things historically in card games that has been abused is resource manipulation, right? Card games where you start with a small number of resources and you slowly grow them over time again, whether this is magic, Earthstone, Elder Scrolls Legends, Legends of Runeterra, whatever. The reason that you grow those resources is so you can continue to play more and more powerful cards. So when you speed up your ability to play more powerful cards, that's a good thing. Or it can also provide options. You know, as you said, if your opponent's on five resources, but you're on seven, even if you're down life, you might be able to play two medium impact cards while they're still playing like one. So you can really jump ahead in terms of like the resource economy, the tempo. The third reason that I think that this card is good is, again, historically with other card games, if you see something that costs more than what the stats on it reflect right and you see something that is restrictive to play because this is a two aspect card and you're paying three for only a two one when you compare that to the other card that we reviewed earlier right where you're paying two and it's only one aspect and you get two three and a keyword that tells me that the text whatever the rest of this card is has to be powerful enough to make up for that disparity and again, resource generation has traditionally been very good. So uh, I'm going to go on record and say this card is good, but mostly because you and I revealed it. <laughs> it's not a perfect formula, but I get what you're saying. Um, look at Tarkin, for example. You and I evaluated Tarkin when it was revealed uh, way back when. Uh, and again, we compared it to the security force or the rebel security force it's like here's what the costs in vanilla stats get you here's what tarkin is getting you uh you're you're losing like six points of stats so the text has to be amazing it and again it's not a perfect formula so you're there it might be bad it might be bad but it, it's it, not but it might be it, it's, it's not exactly <laughs> i think the reason why this might the only reason i think that this could potentially be bad is if what you're ramping up to if the big cards are not just bombs you know if if the big cards in the game that we've we have which we haven't seen we haven't seen sure. a bomb yet in turn until we see a bomb that you're building up towards maybe it's just not worth it maybe the value lives within the mid-range and if that's so, the case, then this is definitely too slow. But this could just get this could just cheat out your leader really quickly. Yeah. So there's a couple of other things that I think are really important to mention, because while this game does play very similar to other games I've played, you know, whether that's Elder Scrolls Legends Artifact, and I feel like I have a lot of experience with this playstyle, there is one thing different about this game, right? And that is that your resources are still cards coming from your hand. You're having to choose essentially which cards you don't want to play to generate your resources, right? This card comes down and gives you value, but then also still jumps into the resources. So it's kind of a net plus one, even though you're not drawing a card. Yeah. Because you play this and then you get a resource out of it. It's the same as saying when it dies, draw a resource and play it. 
right? And so when you think of it from that perspective, it's very good. And then when you combine it with a card like Tarkin, it's an Imperial. And we know Tarkin draws those and he can potentially draw multiples. You can kind of start to see what the command villainy tactics are going to be. I think it's going to be one of control and attrition. And I do think this fits that game plan. And not only that, it's turning itself into a resource for from a card that is is so bad on the field that you probably want it as a resource anyways and it readies itself immediately yes so it's not a matter of like you play it on three you attack with it on four and then you got to wait until turn five to use it no 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 on turn four you sack it get the resource drop another resource and on turn four you're dropping a five drop or you know yep. or on whatever turn and you got two damage on something whether it's an opposing unit exactly. or whatever so yeah there's a lot to like about this card again it's very hard to tell without seeing the whole set and but it's good because it's ours and this guy <laughs> is uh is opening for steve aoki at the mgm grand so you definitely know that uh he's bringing the bops <laughs> so there you have it thank you immensely to star wars unlimited and uh, fantasy flight games for trusting us to bring this to you hopefully you enjoyed our little silly skit that we did uh when we got the card you you immediately messaged me and you're like oh my god we got it and then our stupid idiot brains were like yeah how can we make this about us And it's only going to get worse from here. Heaven forbid, like down the line, they give us a card and it's going to coincide when you and I are working a gig together oh. and we can film something in person. Well, or, listen, hear me out. Look, I, I don't want to like force anybody's hand, but um, if you can like send Flake and I to Galaxy's Edge, we will do a reveal video for all of your cards for an entire set if you want. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll come up with so much stupid stuff. I. Everything you see in the background of this camera shot is all that's valuable to me and that matters to me. So I have no depend. I don't even have a plant. So I can get yeah, up and leave I, tomorrow. I was going to say, I don't know if it comes in very well because my chair kind of covers it. But I've got a Darth Malgus from like Star Wars The Old Republic, the MMO, back behind me. I've got uh, – there's a, a bunch of uh, Funko Pops of like Kylo Ren. I got a TIE Fighter back there. There's I'm right there with you. All right, we're going to uh, get to the main topic of the show, which is alternate win conditions. You and I have kind of kicked the tires on this a bit over the past couple episodes, but we're going to actually dive into it a little hot and heavy here in terms of uh, what are possible win conditions we might see, uh, alternate win conditions that could conceivably happen in Star Wars U. And again, this is not based on any information that we have, uh, and if we did have it, we're not sharing it, so too bad. But ultimately, alternate win conditions. What is an alternate win condition, Charmer? It is an alternate way to win the game I hate you. based on a set of conditions. I hate you. But, no, I mean, seriously, it, it is what it sounds like, but it is something that is also kind of inherent in card games. So a lot of times when you're building a card game from a design standpoint, you also want to allow your players to live certain fantasies, play out certain things. Star Wars is the kind of intellectual property that is kind of made for this sort of thing. But the idea is that if you normally win the game by reducing your opponent's health to zero, you provide them with a different way to win the game. And it might be difficult to achieve, but it's just not normal. 
And then by presenting that, it kind of warps the way players play that matchup. So it also gives you a bit of uh, variance in the gameplay itself, right? So uh, in Magic the Gathering, for example, there's a number of different alternate win conditions. But, you know, very early on, one of the earliest ones was uh, centered around a card called Millstone. And the idea is that in Magic, if you run out of cards in your deck and you are asked to draw a card and you can't, you lose the game. So you built your deck around just surviving and putting cards from your opponent's, you know, deck into their graveyard, right? So they would just have to keep doing things like that until they ran out of cards. And there are, uh, again, a number of other examples in Magic the Gathering. Some, some that are even from like old school rules where Anti was still available. There's cards like Amulet of Quas where you literally flip a coin, um, fun stuff like that. But that is kind of the core of what an alternate win condition is. It's trying to, you know, force players to win the game outright through a different set of conditions than what are outlined in the the normal rules. Okay. So that is the birth in my opinion of alternate win conditions when you're talking about milling. It's the thing about it is that it was already built into the rule book where if you draw if you're going to if you are forced to draw a card and there is no card there, you lose the game. That is that is that is part of i guess the built-in rules and a potential albeit obscure win condition where there are decks built to exploit that small avenue of mm-hmm. victory i'm talking and and that's perfectly fair um i'm talking about <laughs> these so jerk ass cards like approach of the second sun from magic yeah, I was just about to say. So if you're going for the more traditional ones, there is um, that. There's also um, what's the one where you have to gain health? There's one where if you at the start of your turn you have a certain number of health, then you oh, win the game. Um, there's there's uh, well, oh, shoot, I I forget. It's magic, but like I think it just came. It's like an artifact based life gain deck, uh, something along those lines. But for example, like Approach of the Second Sun is a good example. It, it came out in Amonkhet for MTG, which is when I got into Magic. Amonkhet was legal and standard. And I remember playing against this because the text of uh, Approach of the Second Sun, it's a seven-cost white sorcery card that says if Approach of the Second Sun was cast from your hand and you've cast another spell called Approach of the Second Sun, you win the game. So you just have to cast this twice. Sorry, not have it resolved. This is immune to counterspell, by the way, because when you present the card and pay for it to play, it counts as cast. It doesn't count as resolved. But the, what it says is if you've, done, if you've cast this twice, you win. You win. That's it. But it's a, it's a hefty seven-cost yeah. thing, and it also puts itself as the second uh seventh card from the top of your deck so it's like oh you if you if this is the first time you cast it gain seven life and put it seven cards from the top so now you're on a timer where like this doofus i'm playing is basically seven cards away from winning the game again and you can't counterspell it you can't do nothing and that to me is the epitome of i don't want to say a badly designed um Win alternate yeah. win condition, but it's an alternate win condition. So the one that I was thinking of was Angel of Destiny. I had to look it up. It's the one where if you've got 15 more life than your starting total, so if you've gained life, 
then you just attack somebody with the angel and they automatically lose. That's it. It doesn't even have to damage them or anything. It's just literally you gain a bunch of life and you attack once and they lose. Um, but it's funny, you telling that story actually made me realize uh, the two alternate win condition decks that I used to play the most back when I played heavy. Um, one was a bit meme but I love to break it out in multiplayer, and it was Coalition Victory, which is that you have to have a, I believe it's a land and a color of, uh, a land and a permanent of each uh, color in play. And so the idea was you would play dual lands because they counted as each land type, and then you would play like Sliver Queen or something that's a creature of each color, and then when you play Coalition Victory, you just auto win. Um, the other card. one... Yeah, I'm the other one was uh, Dark Steel Reactor, which is you had to get 20 counters on it. But then there was a ton of cards at the time in the original like Mirrodin block that allowed you to put counters on artifacts. Right. So just stuff like that. Right. The idea is an alternate win condition is a card that basically says on it somehow you win the game through doing this. But the reason I mentioned Mill is because it is arguable that there are other ways to alternatively win the game through the rules and so people view them as an alternate win con even though it might not be the card itself that says it right so like not every not every alternate win con is a uh, an exodia from Yu-Gi-Oh right some of them might instead say that you like just deal straight up 20 damage to your opponent and nine times out of ten that finishes them anyway right so when I used to play dragon storm in standard if you pulled the combo off you would summon four uh garden hell kites they're five five flyers and when they come into play they also deal five damage to whatever you want so you're going to deal 20 damage to your opponent and you're also going to have four or five five flyers you've basically won the game if you pull it off that sort of thing yeah uh star wars ccg had um like if we're talking about outright like there's there's degrees of it there's like the one tap kill which you know if your opponent can sort of fortify against it maybe it's not an auto kill but it puts you basically to the finish line um cards tcg like uh the world war ii card game has the commonwealth which is you know if you have 30 or more health deal 20 to a base and bases start at 20 so that's pretty much it uh star wars ccg has uh there is good in him um Mm-hmm. which basically is if you f- if you turn vader to the light side you automatically win the game you just it just says right. you won yeah so that one is a like a true alternate win con and then there's what i would consider the the basically the win con was blowing up the death star right you didn't auto win but you did so much that you yeah win, yeah you know it said like plus with all the helper effects that they ended up printing it's like if you blow up the death star you retrieve like uh, 20 force your opponent loses like 15 force and then it says like you're allowed to once per turn deploy any ship for free so it's like oh home one every right. turn and every time you deploy a ship you you gain three life so it's like ugh. it's like you just basically you won is what it was um other card games like hearthstone had the um hearthstone had the the horsemen uh if, if all four yep. horsemen die all you four the, horsemen die uh runeterra i played some otk decks that uh so like, so Rintera is actually a good example. There are some OTK decks, right? So there's like a Leeson combo was pretty common. But then there are also true alternate win conditions, right? So Fiora, uh, she was a champion where if she has killed four units, then you just win the game. And then you would have decks entirely centered around 
allowing her to kill units and survive or you would do it with like judgment in one big combo there's also cards like uh the bandal tree where if you have a unit from each region and play at the start of your turn you automatically win the game and then it had an engine built on it where you would draw a card each turn from you know a region you didn't have something from uh stuff like that so runeterra is interesting because there are otks which again in games like that are basically alternate win conditions because you're just like once you do it you win anyway um but yeah there's there's plenty there's a lot of examples it's 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 a staple in card games i think that's really what we're trying to say is it is a staple in card games do you know the uh alternate win condition in flesh and blood well uh, there's fatigue obviously is like the version of milling um there's a card you you like, you've got to know this more than anyone. It's like one from your favorite class. Uh oh yeah, there's regicide. Regicide, yeah, which yeah. was a very very. Uh, I will say when it comes to card printing and card design, this was probably one of the most impactful cards that nobody really batted a big eye at. Anytime there's a card that flat out on the on the card says, if you do this, win the game. If you don't lose the game, it's the last play of the game, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 a card. So Regicide is a card that says, uh, if this hits the opponent, th- you win. But if you if it doesn't do damage, you lose. Uh, it has a whole bunch of other stipulations. It's definitely a work towards card. But holy Moses, um, that is uh, another example of why alternate win conditions in my opinion i think that they're they are absolutely by no means some outlandish concept because there have been a lot of meta lists across various different card games that employed these either otk combo kaboom decks or these just flat out the text says i win and we can just report the the game like you are much more connected to rune terror than i am we have a lot of good friends uh who are actually like pros in the game and and yeah and do really well um majin bay austin yost these people who go and crush tournaments noah uh, noah, noah clark these people are world-class players and they played alternate win condition decks yeah it's it's interesting to see how different games approach it, right? Because on the one hand, you want the alternate win conditions to not be oppressive, but you still also kind of want them to be achievable. The appeal of them from a design standpoint is that you give players a, a different way to play the game, which is like a different way to have a, a good experience, to express themselves. But also, let's be honest, a lot of us card games are like, mini math nerds and so it's a new puzzle right like sometimes the appeal is in quote unquote solving the puzzle how do i make this work and there's some fun inherent in that we don't talk about fun when it comes to card games we talk about winning baby that's what we talk about so if we're talking about winning and alternate alternately winning uh you and i have kind of thrown some some spaghetti against the wall and some of it is stuck when it comes to the ideas that we have for alternate win conditions and yours in my opinion is the best one and i want you to lead off with it so hit me with uh, that first one yeah so the one that i kind of mentioned i think once in the past on this show is building the death star and i think that in a game like star wars unlimited the way that you would achieve it is that 
Uh, it's probably in the space zone, but you're going to play a bunch of units that are probably like zero fours and they are pieces of the Death Star. So if you're coming from like Yu-Gi-Oh, for example, this is like trying to assemble Exodia. So you have to have the pieces of the Death Star out there and then you have to protect them with Sentinel units or actions or whatever. And then once you've built it, uh, I think my new iteration, now that I've actually seen the card that we got the, to reveal, the Super Laser Technician, um, I think you have to have the pieces in play, and then you probably have to play an action that would be firing the laser. And it's probably really expensive, let's be honest. It's going to take a lot of power, pun intended, to fire the Death Star. And the Super Laser Technician would fit into that game plan, right? You're ramping up your resources to be able to pay for that alternate win condition. But I do think that you would also likely have to assemble some pieces because this is a game where we're passing the actions back and forth, but there is no like uh, stack. There's no counter spells, right? So the only way that you can love uh, have a level of interaction then is by having the pieces that you're assembling be something your opponent could respond to or attack into. So I, I do think that's how you approach it. But I, I just love that idea, right? It, it fits with the IP. It's iconic, right? Everybody knows about the Death Star in Star Wars, but also it makes sense. If you were going to do anything that warrants just auto-winning the game, blowing up an entire planet is probably it. That'll do it, absolutely. And to me, this is something along the lines legitimately of cards like those one-tap one kills. It's like, if you do all this, do 40 damage to one to one target. They have those cards in Magic. They have them in other card games as well. Um, ultimately, the way I envision this is there's going to be, uh, you know, one of, like, leg you know how, like, um, certain car uh, card games have, you may have one copy of this in your deck. I think that, in my opinion, it's you have four pieces of the Death Star, or four components. They each cost a certain amount. They'll have um, no attack value or or almost no attack value they'll have a life total like a, a health total but what saves it is that usually when that's the case it's it's such a it's it's such a feast or famine situation where if, if one of your pieces dies your entire house of cards falls down and you lose the game ultimately what i'm seeing here is like for example for the death star thing is let's say you your deck is all about defense tutoring getting ramp and all that stuff you get a piece of the death star you get all the stuff that you've got suddenly your opponent you know senses that something's awry they deploy into space they go on this hellacious run like they just start trading into stuff the all the like you know poor value trades into the sentinels that are in space to get access to those death star pieces and all of a sudden a couple of X-Wings come in and blow it up at the expense of a bunch of other uh, units in the fleet. It's cinematic. It's mm -hmm. it's awesome. But what, is the, what, what does the Imperial player do here? In my opinion, those cards are two-sided cards. The front side is the, is the component that you play. The other side is like Death Star Rubble or Death Star Debris, where you could you pay a cost to return it to hand and then you have to replay it it's like we've salvaged oh. we've salvaged the 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 scrap we've collected it, it and we're redeploying it and we're trying to do this again so it's interesting you say that because i actually the more i think about this 
I do think that some sort of salvage mechanic would be there, but instead of it being different pieces, hear me out. What if um, there's a Death Star card just for the Death Star and the art on it is the uh, Death Star in the process of being built, right? So think like Return of the Jedi Death Star. And then the pieces for assembling it are actually upgrades, because one of the things when you have this alternate win con, as you said, is like if if it gets destroyed, then like then what do they do? Right. So or also like what if you just don't draw your pieces? So what if um, the other pieces to the Death Star are upgrade cards and they have a flat stat bonus, but they also say if played on the Death Star X, Y or Z, and then you have to assemble you know, four or five of them before you can do the big laser fire. Yeah, I like it's like and then because they're upgrade cards, you could have cards that fish upgrades back out of your discard pile when you replay your Death Star or whatever. Right? Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Like each let's say each one, like, for instance, you play Kyber Crystal or something like that. You play yeah, I was thinking like uh, crystals. You could have like the dish be an upgrade. Yeah, um, the shield generators be an upgrade. Right. There'd be like four or five probably. Yeah. Like there's like the, the command, like like the command area, like to sort of like have that. Stuff. Uh, and each piece has the text that's like when you play this, you may discard a card from hand to retrieve a Death Star component from your graveyard or your discard pile or whatever you want to call it and then you do that and the death star itself might say something like discard five cards from hand to retrieve the death star into hand so like it's it's not an auto loss but if your opponent swoops in and smashes your your death star to pieces you're you don't just concede the game because you've put so much effort into it um yeah and like i i I like the idea of them being upgrade cards just because in that scenario if you don't draw your death star but you are still running these sentinel ships let's say to protect your death star if the the game calls for it then you could just play the upgrade components on your sentinel ships to buy you time right yeah because you know you can fish them back later so they're not dead cards while you're trying to find your combo pieces they would play directly into your game plan like i the more i think about it i like that you would have like a death star card and then you'd have a bunch of upgrades that are meant to be played on you know ships but also have just like vader's lightsaber have extra text when played on a death star i i love it i think that this is Every anytime I see something like this, the first thing I want to do is be like, let's figure this out first. <laughs> like, screw efficiency, screw rationality. Uh, I want to I want to pay eight to play my Death Star, which is not upgraded at all. So maybe when you play it, like an eight drop, it's merely like a it's like a five it's like a five eight, and then you it's like jam a Kyber crystal. And the Kyber the Kyber crystal is like a a plus two plus O, oh, but when played to the Death Star, it's a plus a plus seven plus oh so now your death star is like getting getting real you know getting getting angry yeah i was gonna say so the way i would imagine this right is that you've got your death star card and by itself it'll say like the death star cannot attack right like let's just start there and then you've got your upgrade pieces that give both attack and health but when you get it fully assembled maybe by the time it's fully assembled 
it's got a total of, uh, you know, let's say 15 oh. power, right? But one of the upgrades says if this is on the Death Star, double its power. So it goes to 30. And another one says if you have these four pieces, you know, pay 10 and tap it to fire, you know, deal its its power to the, the opposing base or whatever, yada, yada. Yeah. Like I could see all of these pieces working together both as usable pieces on other cards, but also having the relevant text on a Death Star that just like sits there till it's ready definitely no a hundred percent i think that that's how it goes where it's like they 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 exponentially combine to to do crazy things where like you said it's like okay and this piece gives it saboteur so it can just go right past your opponent's sentinels and your opponent's shield and it does 30 you know like once it's fully built it's a 30 attack shielded saboteur that you're like all right i got it like yeah suck on these you know and it just like goes it goes right through which again i'm just thinking about those kinds of panic moments where you're you're on turn three or four and suddenly it clicks you're like oh god he's building a death star and everything yeah, that's shifts. no moon yeah <laughs> that would be so crazy like i think that that is that is so that is so awesome where that like I can I can honestly see myself at a table where all of a sudden I just get completely the wool pulled over my eyes where I'm like oh my god he's building a Death Star and suddenly I'm like I need to start loading up in space otherwise he's just gonna put this thing together and blast my base in half and I think that that is one of the cooler aspects of the game that I hope that they, that they explore. Yeah. Um, I have one that I have mentioned in the past which does borrow a little bit from Star Wars CCG, the there is good in him objective, which is I want to train a Jedi and then turn or defeat a Sith. Like, I, I want that to be the the alternate win condition. Now, ultimately, it's like, what if your opponent doesn't play a Sith? My whole thing is that you are building up a character to, on their own, be this one this one-person army, this one-person wrecking ball that can, like, you know, maybe when all's said and done and they're trained, it's like they're a 10-10 with Restore 3, and it says, like, a text that says, like, at the beginning of every turn, give it a shield. You know, like, something like that. On its own, it's a crazy unit, but you did invest in it. However, the, there's also a text that says if this character attacks and defeats uh, a Sith... You, uh, you win the game, you know, something along those lines where this is like a late game thing, but while you're building it up, much like the Death Star, you're creating this, it's almost like the Death Star on the ground. Like if the Imperials had that in going on in space, this could be the ground equivalent. And this also can be where the locations can kind of play into it. Because if your base is like Dagobah, you know, maybe there's a card that says if you're uh, if your base is Dagobah, you know, when yeah. you play this, search for the other piece or search for the other Jedi test, and you go on from there. So, I'm fully down with this, but I wanna I wanna take it a step further. I want there to be a Jedi version, and I want there to be a Sith version where the Sith can kill. Uh, I want the Sith version to be harder to train, but can kill a Jedi or their own Sith master to win, to like ascend. 
But if if we're just talking about yours, where it's strictly like you play the Jedi and it has to kill a Sith, how cool would it be if there was like a donate mechanic? Because one of the things we have to remember in this game is that you can play any card as long as you play the tax. So what if it's all about training a Luke, but you still run a Vader, you just have to pay two more for him, and then you donate him to your opponent, and that's how you complete your objective. Ah. And that's actually me calling back to, you know, we talked about alternate win conditions from other games. Now, again, not a true alternate win con, but one of the sneaky ways you used to win, uh, old school MTG, was there was a deck where you would play a card called Illusions of Grandeur. When it comes into play, you gain 20 health, and then every turn you have to pay more and more to keep it in play. But when it leaves play, you lose 20 health. So you would play Illusions of Grandeur, and then you'd play a card literally called Donate, where you give a permanent you control to your opponent. So you'd play it and gain 20 health and give it to them. And now they're stuck paying for it. And if they can't, they lose 20 health, right? So you just wait them out. So kind of stealing from that and also your idea, what if it's you train the Jedi... And then you also have to run a Vader that you just pay the tax on because it's not for your aspects. And then you like donate it, right? So that you can finish your quest. I think that that's actually quite fascinating. It's like you you have to play the you play the Vader or the Sith or whatever, and you, like you said, it goes to your opponent's side of the board immediately, and then they get the next action, right? So what if they have right. cards so to they can play a Sentinel? a sentinel or whatever or they could protect it they could buff it they can do whatever and suddenly it becomes not as as easy uh i like that idea i think that that's quite fascinating it'll be difficult to pull off but that's the that is the entire mantra of what alternate win conditions uh are meant to be do you, you got another one there uh charmy boy yeah i mean if we're thinking about star wars right I would also really like to see a Kessel Run alternate win condition, right? The premise is, you know, you play a Falcon, maybe you play Han and Chewie, and then it might be a series of, like, tasks you have to do that represents doing it. But I love the idea of, you know, you build your ship and you go on an adventure, and it's... Because in Star Wars, it's the notorious thing, right? Like, he completes the Kessel Run in record time, and everybody knows him. He's... You know, not just world famous, but galaxy famous as a result. That's the kind of iconic thing that I think would warrant an alternate win condition. And I would love to see something like that. So I'm trying to think how this would play out. Because the the concept of the Kessel Run was getting from point A to point B through the shortest distance possible. Uh, parsecs, by the way for the one person out of a thousand who's listening to this who doesn't know is a measure of distance not time so when they say they did the kessel run in under 12 parsecs they said they it basically means that han solo took a shorter yet incredibly perilous route in order to complete yes and complete the kessel run which is a smuggler's route um in the shortest distance possible which in his own mind made him famous but in reality i think the only people out there who even knew about it were him chewy and probably like nobody cared because the only other people who know knew who han solo was prior to a new hope were all gangsters and and people he owed money to right so um i like the, everybody who matters everybody who absolutely yeah uh, all you know the, the huts they're all right so so here's the other one. If you don't if you don't like that one, still keeping it Han Solo themed. I, I didn't want to do this to you because I know he's your favorite character. All right. But hear me out. If you're going to say you, Kylo Ren. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. You 
capture Han Solo and freeze him in carbonite. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as somebody, when I played Star Wars, you know, the Decipher Star Wars, one of my favorite things was to play the Bounty Hunter deck and didn't have to be Han, but you could capture anybody and like feed him to the Rancor, feed him to the Sarlacc pit. What if instead it's, you know, you capture an opposing Han Solo and you freeze him in carbonite and then you have to do one last thing like... So you you got him in Carbonite, and then you've got to do an action or play a card that delivers him to Jabba, and so the opponent has to stop you from making the delivery or whatever to interrupt it as far as, like, the level of interaction between players. But I could see something like that, too. I'm trying to think of, like, I'm still all stuck on the Kessel Run in terms of how this could play out because it's, it's um, the card exists in Star Wars CCG, which means that you have to go from one place to... To like Kessel and back, and then you retrieve force equal to the distance in the in the parsecs of those two those two places. Um, it was a lot of work, but it, it again the flavor was there. You had to take the, sh- the the ship and do the Kessel run um, with only one lane and one location in space. I'm I'm kind of having trouble trying to visualize how you can embody the Kessel run, um, unless it's something along the lines of like. What if there was an uh, an upgrade that you gave to the Falcon that basically was called Do the Kessel Run, which was just survive for X amount of turns while everybody's out to get you? And maybe this was the kind of thing where it's like, if if the ship survives for five turns, you win. And if the ship dies, you lose. Maybe that is so, that is the gamblers. So, so there's you know. that, or here's something else, right? Because it's a card game. We can utilize tokens or whatever. What if there are tokens that exist for asteroids? We'll call them an asteroid token, and they're like a 1-1 one, one sentinel because they're meant to get in your way. So what if the card that starts the Kessel Run that you play on the Millennium Falcon says, like, the Millennium Falcon loses and can't gain Saboteur. Your opponent puts, you know, three or five asteroid tokens into play and a Kessel token, and you win or get the benefit if you attack the Kessel with the Falcon. So the idea is you have to maneuver through all the asteroids Taking to damage get to along the, the destination. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see something like that, too, you know? No, I think that's fair. And, like, if they do print a Falcon, let's say, which I sincerely hope they do, uh, I mean, they got to. Right? They will. I mean, like this set or whatever. Let's say the Falcon stats are like, let's say it's a five six with cool game text, and it's like, okay, that's the that's the thing. Uh, and you have, yeah, you say, okay, I got five, uh, five one one, uh, five one one asteroids that have that say something a lot. Like you put something, you put the Kessel Run upgrade on the Falcon, which gives the game text of put the five uh, asteroids. However, there's the caveat that since it's just the Falcon that's going on the Kessel Run, you're not getting any help from anybody, it'll say these asteroids may only be attacked by the ship carrying the Kessel Run. So you can't be like, I'm playing the Kessel Run. I already have like a bunch of X-Wings. They're all going to blast the asteroids. I'm going to go hit the Kessel Run. And there's five of those. And suddenly, while you're pinging off these things you're fighting off tie fighters and all kinds of other stuff so you have to protect that ship and even if the ship is completely uncontested the damage dealt by the asteroids and the final kessel like asteroid itself should be enough to equate to like killing 
a, a pretty robust ship. So you have to continuously modify it. You got to be in there rewiring yep. stuff and, and doing all this kind of crazy stuff. So I think that's a really clever way to make that happen. Let's let's make our own Star Wars game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Star Wars, you just hire us, man. We'll just print you an entire set. Um, I like that one. But again, I'm biased. Uh, every now and then I'm okay at ideas. Eh, I've been playing card games a long time, and I, I feel like I have a, a, at least a good idea of what sorts of things you want to do from a design standpoint, but... I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. Uh, neither am I. I'm definitely these not are, These are our rough drafts, too. Like, I would refine it. but We should have an episode. Uh, I think maybe our next episode, depending on what the news that drops within the week, but we should do an episode where we each design five cards. Five? Is that'd, that... be a, that'd be a... Well, I just... If we then have to talk about them and you get me talking about game design and we cover ten cards, it's going to be a three-hour episode. All right, we each design I'm three cards. You know. We each design three cards. <laughs> and I, I get really excited I to know. talk about that. I have another podcast to record in 40 minutes, and I know that like I'm not even scratching the surface of everything I want to talk about on this show, but we're already past... like the We're approaching hour it's 20. So, it's so amazing how that happens for a game that doesn't come out this year. We still get so much info and so much to talk about, right? Like it's it's wild. because we love Star Wars, dude. I don't know what else. Yeah, to say. that too. We um, love Star Wars. We love card games. So my final one is pod racing. Pod like the when I was conceiving this stuff, and this is not fully uh, all my idea. Uh, this was something I think that somebody actually commented on one of our videos and said pod racing would be a cool mechanic in the game. I don't know if they were referring it to it as an alternate win condition or whatnot. Ultimately, though, the, it got the gears turning. And to me, when I was thinking about what would be great alternate win condition kind of scenarios, I was thinking about what are the greatest triumph or defeat moments in all of the, the Star Wars cinema, right? Uh, which is, like, what are the big turning points? Which is dis obviously destroying, uh, blowing up Alderaan, blowing up the Death Star, um, you know, the, um, when the, the, the attack on Krite, you know, where yeah, those big things. And to me, Anakin winning the pod race was pivotal to the storyline, the saga, etc. And I thought that pod racing would be an incredible mechanic to have an alternate win condition for, which pod racing was already like it or hate it, something from Star Wars CCG that I personally hated. <laughs> it's just me. But uh, I think that pod racing could be something that we can explore as an alternate win condition. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be down for it. I don't have any sort of like weird hatred for pod racing or anything. And I think that there are some interesting ways that you could do it mechanically. I also feel like many, and it makes sense because they're the big events, but many of the big alternate win conditions we think of tend to lean space heavy, right? So if you're trying to kind of keep parity between the two zones, you would also still want that emphasis on the ground as well. So having something like pod racing where it's going to be a bunch of ground, you know, vehicle units and things like that, and you have to complete a race, uh, it makes sense. And it would also make sense thematically, even if you're the only one who's like trying to do the race and if your opponent doesn't have racers, you know, with skin in the game, let's say, 
we still have that nice like iconic exchange where the Tuscan Raiders were shooting at him from the sidelines as well. So like it's not unheard of. <laughs> what a nice exchange. Or, yeah. I, that's how they say hello in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a roll. I've been I, that's twice I uh, crap on Baltimore uh, today. I had a I was recording Instant Speed this morning at 5:30 a.m. with uh, Josh Scott from New Zealand, and we I was making Baltimore jokes at six in the. See, in the I live in America, sir. I know to say only nice things about places that I don't want to die in, right? <laughs> so you will you will not hear me slander Baltimore. That's why as soon as I get off a plane in the States, all I'm saying is, God bless America, baby. What a great, what an amazing place. Because for precisely the reasons yeah, like, you oh, said. Oh, is that an eagle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of like how a pod race can go. But I think what it is, is like, I, th- I think it's, a, it's a, a mechanic where it's like, you peel the card off the top of your deck and you place it. Like th- the, the way that it worked in Star Wars CCG is, both players, if if your opponent didn't have a pod racer and chose to pod race, they'd have a generic pod racer. But you'd have Anakin, who is obviously better. Uh, most decks back then actually just put one pod racer in as a backup in case the opponent was pod racing. But what you do is like you peel a card off the top and you put it underneath your pod racer. The cost of the card is the number. Your opponent plays and you know, puts one to first to 20 wins the pod race. Now, if your opponent wins, let's say that it's like your opponent can, your opponent's base is fully healed and they draw three cards and ready all their stuff or whatever the hell it could be. And if you win, you just win the game. So this kind of leans to a deck where you're like, I have to find my pod racer but also load my deck up with high cost cards that I'm probably not going to be able to play because I want to win the pod race. But if I don't find the pod racer, like there's that's the balance mechanic to it. It's it's, it's similar to like you know Star Wars CCG where you're like I'm going to load up my deck with high destiny, but all the high destiny cards for the most part were garbage. Like they didn't do yeah. they were very specific and scenario oriented that they had very narrow margins of influence on a game. Most of the time they were just there as recyclable sixes. So yep, that's kind of how I see it in terms of this. I, I could see something like that, or I could see instead it could be like you you play a pod racer and a pilot and then there might be a series of actions that you have to play in order to complete the race and you have to keep your pod racer alive long enough for you to find and play said actions right so i could see something like that as well as opposed to having to have it be from the deck and the only reason i say that is just because when you think about like potential negative play experiences right if you're playing that deck and you don't find your pod racer and you also don't do anything like it's gonna feel really bad if you say like draw go for the first four turns of the game um you you don't want non-games if you can help it so that's the only reason why i was trying to like think through um something to alleviate that but i don't i don't hate the idea i just yeah and and the support cards to me are like the pit droids. They're little one yeah. drops. They're like little one, one, one drops that say like you may tap that tap it to look at the top three cards of your deck. If it's a, and like s- sort of scry. So you're kind of fixing your, your pod race or, and then there's another pit droid that's like remove one 
damage counter from your pod racer and like it, they help you out yeah they're little weenies on the board but they're they're helpful cards and then at the same time you could like maybe you put some sentinels down to protect your base maybe you put like a one or two bombs to sort of deal with bigger threats meanwhile space is like crushing you and there's a death star being <laughs> built and stuff like that so um it's like nice ride kid Bye bye, Tatooine. Yeah, literally. It's just like, oh, so close. You know, but not as fast as a super laser. And you just this is the scene. Anakin just completely dummied Sebulba. He's like, he Sebulba just said Pudu. And yeah, he's, Jar Jar's like, yay, Annie. Annie, yay. He's he's <laughs> whipping around the bank. You know, those those two sports announcers are like, and here comes Skywalker. <laughs> and but wait, wait, wait. Right before the super laser hits, uh uh Boba Fett swings by and si- and uh, seismic charges the entire Yeah, entire- so you gotta have the sound. Yeah. Gotta have the sound. Yeah, nobody wins. I think that that would be hilarious if it's just both players saying, Well, Good luck. We're both racing in different ways. Yeah. I'm pod now racing. Now this is pod racing, right? <laughs> now this is genocide. <laughs> it just goes through. You know, oh. if we ever get together and we can film stuff, we need to get something where it's like you and I together and we can say, now this is podcasting for an intro to each episode. Yeah. Like you and I need to just plan a trip to Star Wars Galaxy's uh, Edge. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge it would be yeah. amazing. Uh, we're almost there. Um, I think that the last uh, you you have a meeting with uh, some people from FFG, right? When you're in at Gen Con. Uh, that is the plan. Yes. Okay. Just float it. Just be like, it's only several thousand dollars to send us to Galaxy's Edge. So. Well, I just I figure we could film a bunch of stuff when we're there, you know, casting the Galactic Championship or whatever. Yeah, that would know, be just great. Throwing it out there since we're going to be on site because that's naturally where you're going to hold the Galactic Championship for yeah. big exposure. And we're going to be so. at the desk, but the desk is at is the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I mean, we can we could film so much content there. I was also thinking about like we could dress up in costumes and, and take some photos for custom play mats where there's one where it's like you is dressed up as Han Solo and me dressed up as Chewbacca. And that's the ground side of our play mat. And then on the space side of our play mat, it's like you and I piloting the Falcon together. Or this giant panorama where you're Jabba the Hutt and I'm Leia, <laughs> slave Leia. <laughs> yeah. I would do it. Actually, I would do it. it, it I, I would do it too. Uh, you know, I would love, speaking of like, actual if you were doing set design for a casting thing i think it'd be really cool to either make it look like we were behind the bar at a cantina or like behind the 3d chess boards oh, or the, the degeric chess board like the degeric, yeah. degeric game board yeah um there's so many things that we could do like we could and then it goes to the analyst desk and it's like the it's like the home one war room and they're like oh yeah yeah and they're like all right well he this is his deck and he's actually constructing the death star and here's and then like like they have all that like crazy Lucasfilm money and like you know they they don't but you know what I mean like it's just yeah. yeah but I mean a lot of that stuff just exists in physical form at Galaxy's Edge already anyway so we would just need permission to do the the filming that's all I'm saying I don't know if they would ever shut that down to have a card game tournament for Doofus. oh no you wouldn't shut it down I think that they would just like do it live in my opinion I, I've done live 
card game tournaments at events, right? So like uh, Elder Scrolls Legends Master Series both years were live at QuakeCon, for example, and lots oh, of people cool. walking around and whatever. Uh, and you got the the stage, so they got plenty of room. Uh, just set up a stage or whatever, and and you do the thing. I think that's pretty rad. I think it's cool. Uh, there you go. There are four completely sane and rational ideas that we have presented. Yeah. Um, mailbag time, buddy. Kick us to her. Throw throw it at us. I don't know, man. I have a bad feeling about this mailbag. I. I'm I'm leaving like, this in. I'm uh, leaving uh, I'm leaving this no, in. No, no, no. Let's just go to the bad feeling mailbag. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about hey. quiet. Alright, so uh hopefully that sound bite was enough of a palate cleanser for you to just expel your rage. Uh, I I hope that you got to see the video portion of last week because obviously I didn't have the same. Clips I did. That you do for yeah. Uh, I hope you appreciated the uh, Star Wars Ewoks cartoon clip I added in from the '80s. <laughs> what a deep cut, dude! Like, so I, at first I listened to it on the plane. Then when I got home, uh, I wanted to sort of watch because you're mentioning about how oh it's going to look different and this. I'm like, oh, let's see what you did, and then. I noticed that like the sound bites were different. So I was like, oh, let's see what kind yeah, of clips yeah, you did got. a different Wampa thing. And yeah, you did like this cool anime style Wampa scene, which was a recreation. And I thought it was great. Um, however, the Ewoks cartoon completely caught me off guard because I was like, is this like, are these the Care Bears? Like, what is this? <laughs> it was good. No, though. There was a Star Wars Ewoks cartoon in the 80s. And then I had the uh, the the baby Wookiee from the holiday special at the very end. That was a treat <laughs> yes, just did. for you. I hate you. All right, we got a uh, we got one question from the mailbag this week uh, from Matthias Pospisil. Uh, I wonder if there's any relation to the tennis player. Uh, the, uh, who's a? Uh... It's their burner account. Sure, welcome aboard. Uh, the question being, how many alternate uh, alternative win conditions do you expect in the first three sets? And in particular, how many in the first set? Looking forward to the show. Well, thank you so much, as always, to everybody who uh, gives us good vibes. But um, specifically to you, Matthias, thank you very much for submitting the question. Uh, you want to take a, a stab at this one first? Uh, first three sets, I'm going to say one or two. Two being the max, but I could totally see just being one. Uh, but I will go out on a limb and say I think we might get firing the Death Star as an alternate win condition in set one. I am on the opposite side of the field here. And traditionally, most games do not introduce alternative win conditions until well into their... Um, and, you, and there's going to be outliers, I suspect. You're probably going to be like, well... Sure. Runeterra had Fiora in the base set. And... Yes, correct. And Fiora is a, is probably the prime example of a build-around support-style hero that, A, you have to draw first, you got to draw her, and then you got to make sure she doesn't die. Um, I think that in the, fir- in the first set, none. Zero. I don't think there's going to be a single one in the first set because people are going to get introduced to the game and they... They want them to experience the game the way it was essentially meant to be played. And I don't think that in 
incorporating a win condition is a good an alternate win condition is a good thing because you're distracting from how you want people to first get accustomed to the game. The worst thing that can possibly happen to this game is if they introduce an alternative win condition that is tier one or top tier. If that's the case, no one's going to want to play this game. It is going to crush everybody's hopes and dreams. So the first three sets, I I think that the Death Star is not a, a first set kind of thing. I think that we're starting to see sprinkles of the pieces. We've got a Tarkin. We've got the Technician. I think that these are, which all have implications and all have impact on the game outside of it. The, the, the Technician, the Super Laser Technician, is not just good to support a Death Star. It's good for rent. No, it's good. Yes. So I think that it, they're starting to sprinkle the pieces, and eventually I think there might be just a Death Star-themed set where you're going to get all the, all the, you know, the, the, the legendary Starfighter pilots and their ships fighting against the Death Star. It might be like, it might be called the Death Stars, where it's like both of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could be that. I If it's not set one, it would probably be like set two or three. It might be Death Star centric. I could also envision a scenario. So the reason I said there might be two is if it's not in the first set and you do a Death Star centric set, you might just drop two alternate win cons in the same one. And it, one is use the Death Star. The other is blow up the Death Star, right? So that you provide an alternate win con for villainy and one for heroism in the same set with different conditions i can see pre-cons uh having that where you know like the two-player introductory sets or two like every set that comes out it's like i can see them putting like a two-player package uh that you just pick up off the shelf that are balanced where it's like your objective is to build and and fire the death star and you've got all the tools to deal with it so have at it and you know out of 100 games it's a 50 50 and that's kind of how it goes. Uh, I can see that happening. But the toughest part about Star Wars CCG and blowing up the Death Star in Star Wars CCG was if your opponent didn't play the Death Star, you couldn't blow it up. <laughs> so right. uh, the best defense of uh, from having your Death Star blown up is not to build one at all. <laughs> so that was the tough part. And eventually in Special Edition, they printed a light side Death Star. So everybody who is like, you know, of outside of thematic rules and kitchen table gameplay of like you build it i'll destroy it you could you can never take that to a tournament with the objective of blowing up the death star because if they didn't have one like you're like what are you gonna do so um i can see the i i really believe that the killing the, the blowing up of the death star or is is going to be the first one or the uh, building and and firing of the death star is going to be the first alternate win condition card and given the fact that this is a game of no light side, dark side thing, it, it'll just stand alone. That's it. And I think that that's okay. And maybe down the line, they're going to see how this how this impacts the meta and impacts gameplay and, comp and competitive play. And if it's too much of a thorn in the side, they might just all like they might just bail on alternate win conditions for a for a while. And if it's successful. Yeah. Like the the thing about it is that alternate win conditions should never be more than a B tier deck or an A tier deck in very select metas. So or a backup win con, right? So here's why I think uh we could see hypothetically it be in set one. 
I think that there's going to be a very decent, like, Imperial villainy control deck, just kind of based on what we're seeing from the cards. And it's probably going to win the normal way 98 times out of 100, right? But I also think that, you know, we don't know what the rarities are yet, but let's just assume that there's, like, some sort of legendary rarity or whatever. I think that part of that will be the Death Star and using it. And it'll be something you can throw in your Imperial deck as a, like, if the game goes long enough, it just ends the game for you sort of thing as the alternate win con. And it's there so that you don't have, you know, an hour and a half long games, but it's also there as this thing that happens rarely, but feels very good when you do it. But also as a marquee thing, because again, when you think about like marketing and selling a player experience, if you say to players you know hey there's this new star wars game and it's really hard to do but you can even you know blow up a planet with the death star like that's a selling point right you just have to make sure that that first one is very hard to pull off right it's like not the main point of a deck yeah and a lot of decks kind of have that uh as i mean for example like eclipse from flesh and blood but like threefold because even eclipse is post chain nerfs was too hard or too easy to do like it needs to be even harder than eclipse but have that like same concept of like you're going to put it in your deck because it might be something you can do if the game goes long enough yeah i mean like in star wars ccg people didn't play there is good in him with the intention of flipping vader that wasn't the they played it because it allowed you to start a strong character with a lightsaber on a battleground or like at with a lot of force generation so that was like the that was just kind of an afterthought where I, I've never in my life flipped Vader. I've never even come close. But as you're progressing to it, if your opponent kind of like avoids you uh, from that alter, like from your 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 big tank, you could build towards that win con and then perhaps pull it off. Like that's the inevitability factor that they have to um, sort of account for. But uh, yeah, uh, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for submitting to the Bad Feeling Mailbag here on Wampa Radio. Again, Matthias Pospisil, thank you very much for that. If you want to send us a question about anything, about Star Wars, about the games, about life, love, and everything in between, you can tweet at us at Wampa Radio on Twitter. You can get me at Watchflake on Twitter at ThatCharm3R, his droid designation, also on Twitter. You're going to say something, aren't you? No. Nope. Oh, I thought yeah, I saw you press the button and I thought you were going to I didn't I didn't I haven't pushed any button. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Um so thank you very much as always uh to uh to everybody who who's been supporting. This this I I have been humbled by the support that we've gotten on this podcast because it feels like we're cheating because we're having so much fun. This is what you and I talk about. Um in, ch- in like when we're in discord chats or when you and i are like we're together in the past little while this is what we talk about ladies and gentlemen like you saw the picture like two idiots at at this circus that is called cracker barrel which i witnessed and, and experienced <laughs> for the first time but this is what we do we talk about this and the fact that you guys are along for the ride really gives us a lot of joy and hope so thank you so much for that yeah i mean sincerely from the bottom of our hearts it's actually wild how much support we're getting for a game that doesn't come out for six more months like it's it's humbling if i'm being honest so i i appreciate all of you i got a message from an anonymous source who is exceptionally reliable uh Mm -hmm. this isn't listening this isn't bs um 
they have their contact with who is a, like they have contacts in Europe who from big time retailers regarding stuff these retailers are anticipating a June release this is so this is this word for word what was said to me was that it's likely a June related release like a a, a summer release it or January they're like there's it's either June or January is where they're aiming for now I am obviously hoping for January but to me January makes more sense because you can you're not I, I don't see why they would have started pumping the tires on this game if they're gonna wait a nut like we when did we hear about this we heard about this game in winter didn't we or like late winter it's been it's been a bit so I mean we're on we're on episode seven right so that means we heard it about it uh, April, but seven. That, that, but we we when we heard about the game, we didn't immediately jump into doing the podcast. No, no, yeah. right. But I just mean like, right? We've been doing it for seven weeks. That's two months. So that takes us back to May. So I, if I'm be like early April, feels about right to sure. me. So let's just say let's just say early April. If they're ang- if they're angling for a June release, that is like fourteen months, which I don't think is the right move. I think that. It's going to be a, uh, a January, February style release. But again, um, the source re- d- has requested to remain anonymous, and I respect that. So I will not uh, say anything again. Um, I'm hoping it's January. That's it. That's all. All right. Another episode in the books. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. Okay. Uh, so start start designing your three cards because I don't want to see them until the episode. Okay. So I'll, one of so, each, one action, one unit, one event, or one upgrade, one 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 unit, one event. Okay. Love it. And you better I have. This. What's that? You think you can do? So I, I can do this. Oh, I think you can. All right, you know what to do. You droid bastard. May the force be with you. <laughs>